back like we never left. It's double move sports. Y'all already know what it is. Going into week seven. Can you believe it already? As always, I'm Stuff Albiero. I'm here with the fantasy phenom, Alex Lott, fresh out of his honeymoon. Say what's up to the people, bro. Happy to be back. I'm a little rusty, missed, you know, didn't get to watch all the games like I typically do on my honeymoon, but went a perfect 4-0 sweep on the weekend. I guess I had some of that wedding energy. Did pick up the piece of bling this weekend, so that is nice as well. Um, being married is weird. It's, you know, for the most part, it feels the same, but now I'm living in a new house. Um, you know, it's uh, it's very different, but I know I'll get used to it. Steph, you're coming up here in a few months as well. So, you know, enough enough wedding talk. I'm excited to get into it this week. Steph, I did notice in our League of Record, you're sitting atop the leaderboard by yourself at 5-1. and one. How does that feel? It feels great. The only thing is I'm, I'm in like the bottom half of the league in terms of points scored. So I got to get those points scored up. But Devontae Adams is back. My whole mindset was, can I just get through Adams being hurt? Oh, yeah. Um, I feel a lot better about my chances now that he's back in the lineup. And I'm expecting big things from Adams this week. But week six was just one of those weeks. It's almost like the decision week for fantasy managers it's you're trying to see what side of the hump you're on you know if you're four and two that feels way better at this point than being two and four you know you're feeling good if you're six and oh or five and one you're pretty much a lock for the playoffs and if you need to start winning games asap if you're one and five or oh and six right now the pressure is on at this point we got seven weeks left in the regular fantasy season so a lot can still happen that's why you guys got to listen to this show we'll fill you in fun slate coming up here in week seven and let's start Alex talking about one of the biggest headlines to start this week of football it's Tua it's Tua time man he's he's been named the starter I know the Dolphins are on a bye this week so we don't need to talk about their matchups that much but just want to know season long what are the implications of Tua Tagovailoa now being the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins yeah this is an interesting one and we've we've heard it a lot and we've talked about it it's weird timing I mean Fitzpatrick is cruising with this Miami Dolphins team, has them at three and three. They're right in the hunt in that division. And so very unique timing for Tua to come in. But I heard it said really, really well by Field Yates today, actually, on the Fantasy Focus podcast. And he said, you know, in fantasy, you think about some guys like a James White is a good example. You know, he's got a floor. He's going to give you 10 to 12 points a week. He's not a league-winning player, though, like someone who can break out, like maybe a J.K. Dobbins later in the season last year, guys like A.J. Brown. With the Dolphins, it's kind of the same. With Fitzpatrick, they know the floor is there. They might win eight games. They might win nine games. But if they're going to look into the future to to next season, the year after, they need a league winner. Tua potentially could be that league winner for the Miami Dolphins, getting them to a Super Bowl. And I don't think that's going to happen this season. I think for fantasy football, I'm kind of keeping the status quo the same until further notice. Um, you know, if you are a Devontae Parker manager or even Miles Gaskin You've got to be a little bit concerned just because a new rookie is coming in and Fitzpatrick was putting up really good volume. But outside of that, I think Tua can provide for these guys. And as a standalone quarterback, I think he is a flex or a a streamer, you know, not a flex guy, but a streamer in a two quarterback league. Definitely a super flex guy just because we know he can do it with his legs. He's got decent weapons in Parker Williams and Gusecki to throw the ball to, and they're definitely going to let him let it fly early and often. So, I, you know, it's an interesting move, but I think Tua is going to be fun to watch. I think from from for Miles Gaskin, you brought him up there. I actually think this is a good move for him. You know, they're not going to ask Tua to come out in his first game and do a bunch of crazy exotic things that we wouldn't expect from, a, you know, your standard run-of-the-mill quarterback. Can Tua be more accurate downfield than Fitzmagic? Can he be a little bit more conservative than Fitzmagic? I think so. But I think for Miles Gaskin, especially early on as they're kind of getting Tua worked into the offense, this is a great spot for Miles Gaskin to be. Didn't have the touchdown last week, but he's operating in a workhorse role. Love Miles Gaskin now and rest of season. And for Devontae Parker and even by extension, Mike Kosicki, Preston Williams, I think this this you know creates a little bit of upside in the unknown. If you're in a desperation situation, it might be worth it to just, you know, hey, you're streaming tight end week to week. Try to see if you can throw Mike Gusecki in on a trade. See if you can get Preston Williams off the waiver wire after this bye week because there is upside in a new quarterback coming in. Could see a Justin Herbert-esque explosion from Tua here as the season goes on. Let's get into some of these other topics here. One of the ones I'm most excited about, a guy that I've been holding on rosters all season long. The breakout finally happened. Luckily, thanks to some bye weeks and some injuries, I was plugging him into my lineups, DeAndre Swift coming in and saving me on on Camara's bye week with a 27-point outing. 
against the Jacksonville Jaguars. What does this mean for DeAndre Swift season long? Is he, you know, are you ready to say this is the the status quo now? He's officially broken out because I'm not sure if I'm all in on that yet. Yeah, I'm not all in on it either. And I know Adrian Peterson was still super involved in this game. This is one where the Lions jumped out early and they for essentially the entire game. Uh, and also the Jacksonville run D has been absolutely atrocious all season long. So a great matchup for Swift and Adrian Peterson. We saw Peterson get, what, 15 carries of his own and get a touchdown. Yep. So as long as AP is there and he's getting 10 to 15 carries a game, I think that really caps the upside that we're going to see for DeAndre Swift. Now, I will say it's really encouraging to see, and I think this takes Swift from kind of a desperation flex play to someone you can plug in at your RB2 spot, and you know he has the upside. He's involved in the passing game as well. So definitely great to see his values definitely on the rise, but I would be very cautious. You know, I don't think this is the breakout we've all been waiting for, and now he's going to be this 20-touch-per-game workhorse. But by all means, I think you can definitely lock him in your lineup, especially in a good matchup against Atlanta this week. Yeah, that's the thing. I I think he's a matchup-dependent RB at this point. He's a guy that if I am in a losing scenario, if I'm sitting at a two and four record or one and five and I need to win right now, I am willing to sell Swift, um, try to sell him as high as I possibly can to just get some other pieces in there that are going to be more reliable every single week. But I think Swift, if I'm if I'm a winning team, I'm trying to hold Swift because he has great matchups that you can start him in. He has Atlanta coming up here in week seven. That's, that's a guy in start of the week contention against Atlanta. Then he has Minnesota. Washington, Carolina, Houston, Green Bay has been an off of a defense that you can run against. So he's got some good matchups, especially down the stretch. I'm willing to continue to hold Swift um, and plug him in if I absolutely need to this week. What's interesting in that game too is that, like you said, Adrian Peterson outcarried him 15 to 14, but DeAndre Swift was extremely efficient. 8.3 yards per carry on 14 carries, had two touchdowns on the ground. The goal line work is the biggest takeaway for me. He was finally getting goal line work on the ground. Like that's exactly what we need to kind of bring it full circle for Swift on top of the you know, four or five targets that he's already getting on a weekly basis. I think that that target volume has room to skyrocket against Atlanta, which is why I'm willing to plug him in. But at the same token, it's Matt Patricia. He's only playing Swift despite that impressive outing, only 38% of snaps. Adrian Peterson was at 20%. Carrion Johnson was at 31%, saw four attempts and two targets of his own. So we'll see if uh, Swift ever gets the reins of this offense under Matt Patricia's reign. Um, but Swift still a guy I want to hold and start in the right matchup. Let's talk about two more running backs here. Guys that are back-to-back in a lot of rankings that I'm seeing both this week, season-long. Guys in very different situations, but are, for all intents and purposes, operating as these every-down running backs. We'll we'll see. We'll we'll get into it here. It's James Robinson and Ronald Jones. And I I wanted to pose Mm. the question for you. I thought it'd be a fun one for us to get into. Who would you rather have rest of season James Robinson with the Jacksonville Jaguars or Ronald Jones on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers oh man you're doing this to me this one's really really tough um I'm biased wow this is tough I'm going Ronald Jones he's hot right now I I gotta go Ronald Jones and it's close I mean if I was gonna rank these guys rest of season I think they'd both be right there around the 12 13 14 number just because um Robinson obviously is is very involved in the passing game in Jacksonville and he is that main back but Ronald Jones man he's shown a ton of upside he's finally getting going in this Tampa Bay offense three straight 100 yard rushing games actually fifth in the NFL right now in rushing yards more rushing yards than Zeke we saw the touchdown upside this past week in a good offense when he got the goal line opportunities and Mike Evans wasn't getting these one yard screen passes on the goal line so in my opinion yes I know McCoy is involved in the passing game I know Leonard Fournette's going to be coming back into the fold but Ronald Jones right now is absolutely on fire. And I know Bruce Arians likes to go back and forth with his backs. But if you look at, at this backfield, the hot hand is clearly Ronald Jones. If he keeps getting 20 touches a game on the ground with that touchdown upside, running as good as he's been running, he's had a breakaway run. It feels like every single game for like 25, 30 yards, which is awesome. And no, he's not as involved in the passing game as James Robinson is, but he's still getting a handful of targets each and every game. It's not like he's a you know, a Marlon Mack from last season where he got like 14 targets on the whole season. I mean, Ronald Jones on the year, 25 targets in six games. That's four per game. That's not bad at all. So I think Ronald Jones actually provides a little bit of a floor in the passing game as well. 
give me Rojo, man. It's been awesome to see him still thrive with Fournette coming in there because you and I both know, and anyone who's been listening knows, that I've been on the Rojo hype train for a long, long time. It's true. It's true. And it's those investments in draft season are finally paying off for you. It's crazy because between these two players, they're both top 12 right now in PPR leagues. Both are right around 90 carries. Ronald Jones actually has a few more 97 carries to James Robinson's 85, but both are about even. Both are at 26 and 25 targets respectively for each of them. So they're almost seeing the same volume. It's just which offense do you really want? Which offense is going to have better matchups? Part of me does want to say James Robinson in this scenario. And the only reason is because right now the Jacksonville Jaguars defense is giving up the eighth most points per game. So I think season long, there's going to be more passing volume for James Robinson compared to Ronald Jones, where, you know, the, I think the upside for Ronald Jones and what you're banking on is the touchdowns. We saw him with two touchdowns in week six and we said preseason that Ronald Jones is one of these running backs that has double digit touchdown upside and if he does hit that double digit touchdown mark he is going to beat James Robinson but you still have LaShawn McCoy fighting for pass catching work Keyshawn Vaughn coming in maybe we'll see I, I think there's an injury with Fournette that they're just not disclosing at this point probably because he's in a contract year probably doesn't want it to get out that he's a little bit more banged up than we probably think you know he was a, a, a late inactive in week six, I think Fournette is still going to try to come in and get some volume at some point. But at this point, I'm willing to say Ronald Jones is the guy there. But I still remains to be seen. Fournette's kind of this lurking monster in the shadows that could come out week nine, 10, 11, 12. Things are going to change over time. Whereas James Robinson uh, looks like Rykel Armstead is going to stay on the COVID hour list for probably the rest of the season at this point. Uh, and then we have you know, Chris Thompson getting in there in garbage time situations, pass catching back. But I'm willing to look at Robinson because I think the game scripts are going to allow him to have more sustained pass catching volume. Whereas with Ronald Jones, you look at the Buccaneers defense, they're a top eight team in terms of points allowed on the defensive side of the ball. They absolutely destroyed the Green Bay Packers. I don't think anyone saw that coming. That's that's the difference maker for me. It's just those defenses, but I'd love to have either of these guys as RB2s. At this point, they're both every week starters until we see otherwise. Steph, and one more thing I want to say, and in, in my film room I did on Ronald Jones before the season, check that out on our channel if you haven't already seen it. I, I highlighted how Rojo, people didn't realize how he had this big play breakaway run potential. And no, they don't always go for touchdowns because he doesn't have that breakaway speed, but he's just making something out of nothing time and time again. He's third right now in the NFL and runs of 20 or more yards behind only Nick Chubb and Lamar Jackson. So Rojo's getting going. We're seeing those big plays. He's grinding, you know, four point, what, 4.9 yards of carry so far this season. And it's been awesome to see him come on. Really awesome for me too, just because I was so on Ronald Jones for the season. And Steph, I did convince my wife to draft Ronald Jones and thank goodness he's gotten going these last three weeks. Otherwise this marriage would have started out on a tough note, but luckily <laughs> Rojo has been getting going. Things are great um, and starting off on the right foot. She's crushing it in her fantasy league too. So all good. Thank you, Rojo. Please keep it up. 4.8 yards per carry for Ronald Jones, 4.2 for James Robinson. And here's the last thing I'll say. We've seen it in Gardner Minshew's tendencies to target the running back position. He did it back when he was in, in college and he's still doing it now. We saw Leonard Fournette have 100 targets last year. I think that type of receiving volume upside is there for James Robinson, and they've shown him to be the guy. So that, that's where the difference maker for is, is like in those defenses and that pass catching volume. But again, either one would love to have as an RB2 here. Let's talk about a trio of wide receivers, really an entire wide receiver situation for a team. And it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've been a hot topic this, this week. And you look at Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson. There's, you know, we're seeing the pendulum swing in different directions for all of these different names here. I first want to start by talking about Chase Claypool. This breakout for Chase Claypool is absolutely insane. He looks like DK Metcalf as a rookie last year, except he broke out in week, what was it, week two or week three. And there's one of those things that's like, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times, shame on me. At this point, you got to plug Chase Claypool in. He's a wide receiver too on the week for me. I think he's a guy you got to plug him in. If you have him in, uh, as a flex option, you should feel phenomenal about it. And in this matchup here against uh, the Tennessee Titans, it's kind of this battle of the undefeated teams. It's a 50-point over-under. I think Claypool is going to absolutely eat. 
And Claypool didn't play more than 40% of snaps until week three. He's had his bye week already, and he's still top 15 in deep targets in the NFL. He's second in the league in yards per reception. He leads the league in yards per outrun, third in yards per target. Every catch that this guy gets is just dripping with fantasy points all over it. And he's currently 10th in fantasy points per game for wide receivers, not to mention he has six touchdowns. I know that's going to get skewed by the four that he had in one week, which is just insane. That's never going to happen again for Claypool. But Claypool scored in two out of the first five games of his career. Like, you can't take that as a point against him. I think Chase Claypool is broken out. He's a proven stud. If I can buy him low still, if somebody thinks, hey, uh, you know, Deontay Johnson's going to come back and Claypool's going to get mitigated to a pure deep threat role, maybe even that happens. But either way, I want to have Claypool on my roster. Alex, are you with me here on this Claypool hype? Absolutely. And you're so right. It, it, it took us a little bit of time to get on Chase Claypool. But to me, Steph, it reminds me of A.J. Brown last season. I remember A.J. Brown had a couple of these pop games early, but wasn't really that consistent. And then when he started getting snaps, it was just week in, week out. You see these monster plays from A.J. Brown, and you start saying to yourself, can A.J. Brown really do this each and every game to have value in my fantasy lineup? <laughs> and if you went along for that A.J. Brown ride, you were very, very happy and likely made a run deep into your playoffs. So Claypool feels the same way to me this season. Yes, there's going to be some ups and some downs, but right now with, with this offense in Pittsburgh, the way that ben, Big Ben is throwing the ball, the snaps and the targets that Claypool is getting, you have to keep putting him in your lineup until further notice. He's just producing week in and week out. And after not only the boom game, but to come back and get 78% of snaps, lead the team in snaps, you, you have to keep playing him, especially after the production he put up there. You said he was a solid wide receiver too on the week. What do you have, 17 points last week? So you, you have to keep rolling Chase Claypool out in your lineup until further notice. And if you were one of those big spenders on the waiver wire for Claypool, you definitely probably feel the same way. You didn't pick him up for nothing, and you're not going to be benching him at this point. So I love rolling him out there as a wide receiver, too. With the volume he's getting, he actually has, carving, has carved out a nice little floor for himself. And like we saw two weeks ago, we know exactly what the upside is. So I actually like Claypool more than any other Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver. And if I'm looking at the rest of the season – Give me Claypool over Juju, over Deontay Johnson as well. So we've, we've talked about Claypool. Let's kind of put him to this side. Let's talk about the other two Pittsburgh receivers that you're you're looking to start potentially every single week. Maybe not anymore for Juju, but it's, it's Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson. Alex, are you with me on that? I would rather have Deontay Johnson rest of season over Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, I'd rank these guys Claypool, Deontay, and Juju. Juju right now is not startable. I mean, he's maybe a flex. You know, if he scores the touchdowns, he's there. But outside of that big week one game, he had a, a decent game in week two and three. But he's totally fallen off of a cliff. And he's not getting the targets either. I mean, you look at these Pittsburgh Steeler targets, Claypool on the year. You, we know he was a rookie, got off to a slow start. He's at 24. Deontay Johnson's at 26 and missed a game. James Washington's at 26 and Juju's at 28. So Juju's not really getting significant target volume over these other guys. And he's not putting up any production with what he's getting. I mean, last couple games, five targets, five targets, four targets. You just can't have four or five targets from a guy who plays in the slot as close to the line of scrimmage as Juju does. I mean, he's averaging 8.4 yards per reception on the season. With 28 targets, that's just not going to get it done. So I'm out on Juju until we see something else from him. If you have the opportunity to sell based on name value, someone else thinks they're buying low, there are so many other guys I would take over Juju. I, you know, if I, if I had Juju, I'd throw offers out there for Chase Claypool and see if I can if I can pick him up. <laughs> we'll see if you can get him. But yeah, that I, I'm with you 100%, man. 17% target share. That's 50th amongst all wide receivers. And he's really been relegated to more of a slot guy, like you said. Um, and even though the Steelers this year, you know, have, uh, you know, kind of turned into like Big Ben's like game manager. They're not this high-flying offense, you remember. Even though Chase Claypool's having these great games, you, know, you would think in, in an offense where Big Ben's not trying to push the ball downfield that Juju's going to have a lot of value in that and see a, a high target share. Right now, its average target distance is 4.8 yards. That's that's 99th amongst all wide receivers. He's only seen one deep target on the year. He had the two touchdowns, but has only seen four red zone targets on the year, which is outside of the top 30. So you look across the board at almost every single metric. Juju's is down. I'm not sure if he, you know, I've seen some people, uh, some Juju truthers saying that maybe he's still a little bit hurt. 
We saw him banged up all last year. There could be some of that. He's trying to shake off some of the injury rust or maybe the, some of the injuries are popping back up for him. He's just not getting separation, whether it's near the line of scrimmage or a little bit more downfield in the middle of the field. He's just not getting it. Um, and it was a yards after the catch doesn't look great either. So I'm not sure what's wrong with Juju. Maybe long-term, he just needs a change of scenery. I think if you put him in the right situation, he can still dominate. I, I do still think he has juice, but as far as, as 2020 goes, we haven't seen that. So there's no reason to believe that it's going to come, even though, you know, two years ago, we had that 1,400-yard season. I think part of that just came from what everybody else said, like the, the Antonio Brown effect that allowed things for Juju to open up when Big Ben was throwing the ball almost 700 times in a year wearing out that elbow. Uh, so... For, for Juju, he's just a guy, he's really not startable. Um, I'm trying to sell him for anything that I possibly can at this point. Um, even like a a Brandon Cooks that we're starting to see emerge, if you can get your hands on him. You know, any of these other kind of high upside wide receivers, guys that you at least can feel confident putting in a flex spot every single week, that's the value that Juju should be at. It's almost like DJ Moore to start the year. Yeah, you just gotta. It's a guy that you drafted to be a lot higher, um, but now you got to kind of change your perspective on him and view him as more of this flex play, uh, or maybe even just a bench guy. So let's talk about some running backs that are on the bubble that you might be looking at as a desperation RB2 or a flex play. We'll go through our running back start sits. And guys, before we get into this, if you have any players that we did not mention, be sure to hit us up in the comments down below. We'll try to get to all of those. And we even did a live stream last Sunday, hopped on uh, for about two hours before kickoff uh, the Sunday 1 p.m. Eastern time games. We're going through a ton of start sit questions. Had a bunch of guys ask me, hey, should I start Julio Jones with all this injury risk? I was like, no question. You got to plug him in if he, if he plays and it paid off. So shout out to everybody in that live stream. Hope we got a bunch of fantasy victories out of that. Last thing here, if you guys like the show, please hit that like and subscribe button. That is huge for us. But let's first talk about Jarek McKinnon. Now with Raheem Mostert out of the lineup, probably going to IR. You know, we saw McKinnon have those big pop games playing on like 97% of the snaps when Mostert was out of the lineup earlier in the year. Are you seeing things moving that way again for McKinnon here? Are you valuing him as an RB2 or even like a, an RB1 in the right matchup with Mostert out? Yeah, I'm willing to play McKinnon this week. You just look at McKinnon's splits with and without Mostert, and it's night and day. I mean, week one with Mostert in the lineup, six touches. Week two with Mostert in the lineup, four touches. Then Mostert's out for two games, and he gets 17 touches and 21 touches. Mostert comes back, back down to three touches. And then this past week, he was out for, you know, half of that game got eight touches so my expectation would be that Jarek McKinnon's going to get 12 to 15 touches maybe more in this offense 12 to 15 I think is the floor I think 15 to 20 is kind of that ceiling so I'm expecting McKinnon to be used early and often in this game and I know Jamichael Hasty got some run there at the end last week um, but I think they were just kind of trying to burn out the clock there they had it in control so you know the Patriots obviously aren't a great matchup but just knowing the volume McKinnon's going to get we're dealing with all these injuries. We're dealing with bye weeks now. People don't have running backs just sitting around. And if you can get someone in an elite running scheme like San Francisco, who's going to get you around 15 touches, you got to plug them in your lineup, especially when it's a pass catching back like Jerry McKinnon. So I'm starting him if I've got him. Um, I know he's been disappointing here for the last two weeks, but as an RB2, I think given the opportunity and the situation, you might just have to throw him in there. I'm I'm surprised that that you're as high on McKinnon because I've typically been the one of us two who's been higher on McKinnon. I'm actually feeling like this is a trap game, and I'll tell you why. It's because earlier on those those weeks without Mostert, we had Debo Samuel out of the lineup. George Kittle was hurt. Brandon Ayuk was still getting worked in. I know he had some good games around that time as well. But part of me thinks that you know with these other weapons here, especially the way that San Francisco's running this. This horizontal passing game, it was like 99% of Debo Samuel's yards came after the catch. There's something ridiculous <laughs> like that last week. They were just giving him... Yeah, because they were all basically handoffs. Pretty much. I mean, they're using Debo Samuel like a running back at this point. Um, that that has me a little bit concerned for McKinnon, but there are definitely worse options there. If you have a desperation RB2 or you just got nothing at your flex, maybe you're hammered by these bye weeks um, or got some injuries that have crept in. McKinnon's worth a start. I'm just holding back on him a little bit. I think some of the touchdowns that he had earlier in the year, I mean, he scored a touchdown in his first four games that he played this season. 
So unless you're getting that touchdown, I think you're going to be disappointed with Jarek McKinnon. I would view him as more of like a you know nine to twelve point guy, and if that touchdown hits, you're going to be happy with it. But mm. um, definitely worse options that you can have there. And, and Jamichael Hasty coming in and getting twenty one percent of the snaps. I, I think that San Francisco might try to see what they have in him uh, before they potentially you know move on as an, an undrafted free agent coming in. But I, I'm still with you. I think he's still a start if we're just talking yeah. purely start sit here. Yeah, I think we I think we both agree here. It's just I, I'm looking at it, at, you know, in an optimistic narrative and yours is more pessimistic just for this take specifically, because we're kind of saying the same thing. Like right. McKinnon's not in my consideration for start of the week necessarily, but it's just one of those things where he has a good opportunity in front of him. So based on this, the landscape of fantasy football right now, he's someone you, you just need to start unless you're stacked and have other really, really strong options. And and this San Francisco team's not, uh, you know, built to play from behind either um, but then again I don't know if New England is going to go run up the score on them it's a tough matchup um, which also makes me look at other options but um, let's move on here enough about McKenna let's talk about Philip Lindsay another guy who's benefiting from an injury in that backfield we saw him last week against New England have a mediocre outing you know it's one that if you started him he didn't absolutely kill you you know I, I think I'd view him against Kansas City in week seven here as a low-end RB2 or a flex play. And we, we really know what Philip Lindsay is at this point. He's a relatively efficient volume play. I mean, last week was like the epitome of what Philip Lindsay is. 23 attempts for 101 yards. That's 4.4 yards per attempt. And then zero targets. Granted, in that game, they didn't really need to pass the ball in a, in a winning game script. They had a lead on New England most of the time. But Kansas City is a good matchup. They're 20th against the run. We know Kansas City is going to be able to put up points. And all you're hoping here is that the Broncos can move the ball, get Lindsey into the end zone, and you know just hope that they don't fall too far behind and have to air the ball out. I expect Lindsey to be a low ceiling, high floor play in the 10 to 14 range. See, I struggle with that one because at the time of this recording, and Steph, correct me if I'm wrong, aren't they expecting to have Melvin Gordon back this week? Let's do a spot check here real quick on the fly. I think they are. So assuming Melvin Gordon's going to come back, it's tough because one, he could be dealing with some discipline. Maybe Lindsay gets the start, but two, we just have such a small sample size of both Lindsay and Gordon on the field at the same time. The only game they played together was in week one. Melvin Gordon got 63% of snaps. Philip Lindsay only got 32% of snaps. Royce Freeman had 10%. So I just look at these splits and I'm thinking to myself, if Philip Lindsay's in that 10 carry range, if anyone's going to get the touchdown, my money would be on Gordon. If someone's going to get the receiving work, my money would be on Gordon. So, you know, in a game where they could fall behind to Kansas City, in a game where Gordon and Freeman are going to be there, there's going to be kind of like a three-headed attack with Gordon leading the charge. I'm concerned about Philip Lindsay. Now, I'm not going to say it's impossible for Lindsay to come out and get 15 carries because with Melvin Gordon getting that DUI, we don't know what his discipline is going to be. We don't know if Lindsay's going to come out and be the starter. We don't know what that's going to look like. But just with some of that uncertainty and on the off chance that the, the Broncos say, hey, you know, the league will do their discipline process and down the line, Gordon will get a suspension. So we're going to play him now. That suspension's adequate. Maybe they come out and just give him the starting job and give him his his full um, portion of snaps. So for that reason, I'm out on Lindsey and I'd keep him on the bench this week. Yeah, my, my take was based on Melvin Gordon not being there at all. I assumed that he wasn't going to play anymore and was going to face that suspension starting this week. But you're right. The official word has not come out as of right now. Melvin Gordon is healthy and expected to play. No injury designation on him. Let's talk about Melvin Gordon. Is he a guy that, you know, with Philip Lindsey now back in the lineup, I'm not too keen on playing Melvin Gordon, and especially like he was sick last no. week. Maybe we could put sick there in air quotes, but um, are you trying to start Melvin Gordon either? No, I, if I can avoid it, I'm avoiding it. I mean, you didn't have Melvin Gordon last week, so if it maybe your emergency plan crashed and burned and you took the L and you're like, I need Gordon back in my lineup, but I'm with you. I mean, for the same reasons, we don't know what this is going to look like. You're right, the air quotes to Melvin Gordon being sick and missing that game. We don't really know. So with Lindsey back, Steph, I know you were fading Melvin Gordon anyway, knowing Philip Lindsey was going to come back, add some of this other off-the-field drama into the mix, and I'd be a little bit worried about Gordon as well. I think you can start him, but if you do, you just have to be prepared for some funky stuff to happen, um, and maybe Lindsey gets a little bit more work and a little bit more run than he normally does. Yeah, I'd view both of these guys for right now in kind of a you know high-end RB3 range, just high floor. I don't see a high ceiling for either of them if they're both going to be out there. 
on the field. And it was tough too, because I had Gordon in some spots. I had him as my RB2 with like Miles Sanders as my one and was loaded at wide receiver in some of those leagues. And I ended up shipping off Melvin Gordon for David Johnson because there were just some concerns there when Philip Lindsay would come back. So you, you knew I, you know, I was kind of seeing that and was trying to get ahead of it. Um, and I feel like I was able to sell high on Melvin Gordon after those you know, early performances. And then he had that big game against the Jets. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to start either guy um, outside of necessity here in week seven. Now let's talk about James White. Finally, you know, looked like the player that I was all over at his ADP in this draft season against Denver. He had 15.3 fantasy points, had four attempts on the ground for eight yards, but then through the air, nine targets, caught eight of them for 65 yards. At this point, Edelman's not looking great. He hasn't had a good game in a minute outside of that Seattle game. So it feels like James White's going to have to become even more involved now in this offense as part of the passing game. And against San Francisco here in week seven, I'm not too scared of the matchup. But what I am scared of is this being kind of a low-scoring game. So James White, for you, is he an RB2, RB3? Yeah, I think he's a high-floor start just because we've seen James White be exactly what we expected him to be since he's come back. I mean, the last two weeks, he's been over 50% of snaps, kind of right in the range we would expect. And in those two games, eight targets and nine targets, he turned that into seven receptions and eight receptions. In a PPR league, you're getting seven, eight receptions out of your running back. I mean, you're getting a really high floor, so only – three carries in his first game and four carries in his second game back on the ground. But that's not what you're looking for in James White. He's essentially a slot receiver out of the backfield. So if he's going to keep getting that snap percentage and keep getting work, I expect him to be very relevant. And you said it, this might not be a super high scoring game with the San Francisco 49ers, but I expect it to be a competitive game. And I do expect the 49ers to score points. We talked about it earlier, Jarek McKinnon, um, Debo Samuel, Ayuk, Kittle, some of these passing game options are back. And the 49ers offense looked pretty decent against the Rams. So the over-under in this one's only 43 and a half. Even with that being the case, I, you know, even with that being the case, I still think James White is going to get work in this game, enough to be a high floor play. He's not going to take the top off and go for 30 points. But if you need a safe option that's going to get you somewhere from 10 to 15, and if he falls in the end zone close to 20, I think you start James White. Yeah, that, that over-under, I did not see that. That 43.5 went over-under is by far the lowest on the week. That's crazy. That's probably one of the lowest I've seen all year long. Now let's talk about this Rams backfield. A lot of people probably still have Cam Akers on their roster. If you have him, you can just drop him. For redraft purposes, I love what Akers might be next year. But for right now, you can't have a guy putting up zero on a weekly basis. He didn't get a touch. He he got one target that he did not receive. So, like you look at that, he got one snap. I looked at one snap. I looked at what Sean McVay said after the game, and he was just pretty much said like the game plan didn't involve Acres this week. And I was like, you said the week before that he was going to play. He was like a deep shot of the week for me in that San Francisco matchup. I thought was going to be a little bit more of a high scoring game, and that Acres was going to see some patch pass catching work there, like he started to see. Um, you know, earlier in the year when he kind of came off strong against Washington in week five, but it just didn't happen. Who knows? Maybe the injury is still bothering Akers, but he, he can't be a guy that you just have stashing or waiting and waiting and waiting. He's going to be a roster clogger at this point and still has his bye week coming up here in week nine. But for Daryl Henderson, had a rough outing, you know, only 14 attempts for 88 yards. It was a very efficient 6.3 yards per carry, but didn't even he see ran a, well. Yeah, didn't he see a single good. target, though. But I'm starting to think Henderson is like the clear RB1 in this backfield has really turned into what I wanted Akers to be. Yeah, this is interesting because Henderson, this is the first game he's been over 50% of snaps. Even as Henderson has emerged, listen to these snap count percentages for Malcolm Brown on the year. I'll do all six weeks. 60% in Malcolm Brown's breakout week one. But since Brown has taken the backseat, 54%, 49%, 61%, 38%, 45%. So that is more of a Daryl Henderson stat than it is a Malcolm Brown stat, just because Henderson isn't out there as the workhorse. And the fact that Cam Akers is playing, you know, a handful of snaps a game, there's, I mean, nowhere to go but down, in my opinion, for Daryl Henderson, because I don't think they're suddenly, Sean McVay's not just going to start giving him 75% of snaps, mm. but you know, at this point, he's a low-end RB2 or a flex. It's rolling the dice every time you play Daryl Henderson. We've seen the highs. We've seen the lows. I mean, even in this game, he only got 53% of snaps, but 14 carries for 88 yards. If he gets a touchdown in that game, he turns everything around. So you're really relying on Henderson getting into the end zone. Now on this Rams team, 
it seems like he's going to be the goal line back. But then again, who knows when they're going to get down inside the five and Malcolm Brown or Cam Akers comes onto the field. We just don't know. So to me, Daryl Henderson is more of a desperation RB2 or a flex. I'm trying to sit him if I can just because it's impossible to predict at this point. And we, when you play him, you just have to pray it's going to be one of his big weeks. And you have to pray you're not going to bench him during one of his bad weeks. It's just one of those situations. And Steph, I want to show you the most interesting stat of the week. Daryl Henderson last week had zero receptions for four receiving yards because he got a hook and ladder from Cooper Cup. So go figure. I was looking at this box score and I was like, this cannot be right. But it is. (laughs) This guy is doing literally something out of nothing. So, um, but again, K-Makers, you can drop him. Malcolm Brown, deeper league, maybe you stash him in case there's an injury. He's more of a handcuff at this point. And Daryl Henderson, (laughs) start him at your own risk. So I'm at your own risk, but he is a he's a desperation RB two if you need it. If if you're looking at him yep. as a flex option, it's like you probably have a wide receiver, probably one on waivers that you can just yes. stream for a week, who's going to be a higher upside play than Daryl Henderson. But I would love to see what he would look like, you know, at a you know more of a seventy percent snap share. It just sucks, and it feels like that's what all the Rams with their tight ends, with their wide receivers, is just kind of the roulette wheel. What's McVeigh going to come up with this week? to get the ball into the hands of his playmakers in one game it might be a Henderson game it might be by the end of the year we might see some Acres games in here but it's just you're never going to know when to start him but for right now ride the hot hand in Henderson as far as the eye test goes Henderson in my opinion has by far looked the best of all the running backs in that backfield so surely Sean McVay and this coaching staff is seeing the same thing um so we'll see I mean again yeah I, I think we've hit on this well enough just keep an eye on it keep monitoring the snaps the touches every single week and if nothing changes, you know, Henderson is, is that kind of flex guy. But Steph, let's go ahead and move over to some wide receivers. I want to stay on the Rams. These are start sits at the position. Cooper Cup's the first name on our list. He was disappointing last week, only three receptions for 11 yards, but he did have nine targets. This is his first real stinker week of the season, maybe week one with only four for 40, but Steph, what are we doing with Cooper Cup? In my opinion, you roll him out there every single week. He's seeing 80-90% of snaps every single game. The nine targets were still there in this one. He dropped a touchdown. He barely got turned around on a deep ball that could have gone for a, a long touchdown. So, in my opinion, Cooper Cup is locked into my lineup. Don't overreact and put him on your bench just yet. What's crazy is that Cooper Cup ended 2019 as the wide receiver four on the year. I think those days are probably behind him. Part of that is just the offense in general. Um, you know, we saw Robert Woods, like Robert Woods is a wide receiver one right now. Um, and that's what all, you know, what we said before the season, it was just like, you know, volume wise, skill set wise, we just don't think Cooper cup, unless he's getting a ton of touchdowns, he's not going to be a guy that you want to start in fantasy, but you're right. That upside is still there. We've seen him have the big weeks. He had that 25-point game against Buffalo, 17 points against the, against the New York Giants. Against Chicago, which is a touch, tough matchup for wide receivers, you still have to plug him it's in tough. there because for all we know, McVay's you know, sitting right now in his mansion in L.A. scheming up, hey, this is a Cooper Cup game. We want to get him involved. We want to get him in the end zone, in the red zone. So for those reasons, you have to start Cup. It's just one of those situations where he's going to give you um, a lot of volatility. Some weeks he's going to give you five. Other weeks he's going to give you 25. You never really know when they're going to come. Like you might look at the matchup and think it's good, but the matchup is no guarantee on what his production is going to look like. Um, you're hoping for the touchdown with him, but he is a guy that does score a lot of touchdowns. Cup is just a guy that I'm not valuing. Like people are probably going to overvalue him based on name height, based on the good weeks that he's had this season. I've now dropped him down to a low end wide receiver too, which is about where he is. He's the, the wide receiver 24 on the year. Let's talk about a start-sit decision that's been keeping me up at night almost every single week. And and the two players here are Brandon Cooks and DJ Chark. I'm leaning towards the Chark side. Starter-sit DJ Chark after a pretty disappointing outing in Week 6. He didn't kill you, but only 11.5 fantasy points. That's coming off a four-point week in Houston. He did get hurt in the fourth quarter, but that was the fourth quarter. Um, We've seen a really low target volume thus far in the season, but Chark is coming off a 14-target game. He just wasn't able to get into the red zone. He wasn't able to get a ton of yardage. How do you feel about DJ Chark, and would you start him over Brandon Cooks this week? Oh, this is tough. Cooks is against Green Bay. Chark is against the Chargers. This is a really tough one. I, to me, I think I would I would like to start both. I think they're both good flex options, maybe even wide receiver two options. And this is going to sound crazy, but I think I would go with Brandon Cooks. 
I think I would lean with Brandon Cooks and ride that hot hand in Houston since Bill O'Brien has been gone. This is what's interesting to me. It's one thing to see Cooks with this low target volume with that zero point week in week four. And then you see the last two weeks, 12 targets, nine targets, eight for 161 and a touchdown, nine for 68 and a touchdown. It's one thing to say, okay, the status quo is the same. Nothing has changed. And Cooks had a couple of hot games. But to me, the fact that Bill O'Brien is now gone and then Cooks all of a sudden is emerging as this top wide receiver, to me, that is more substantial than if everything was the same. Because I think Brandon Cooks is truly emerging as the number one on this team. And I don't think that can be ignored. I mean, 83% of snaps, 88% of snaps in the last two games. Over Will Fuller. Cooks' snap counts have been through the roof this season. I mean, he and Fuller are essentially the 1A, 1B on this team. You know, to be fair, okay, maybe him and Fuller are about even. But if you're willing to roll out Will Fuller, I think you have to be willing to roll out Brandon Cooks. The targets are there. The snaps are there. Deshaun Watson is obviously an elite quarterback, and they're playing the Green Bay Packers in a game where I expect them to have to throw the ball. So I'm going to lean with Brandon Cooks on this one. Now, I will say, I don't think DJ Chark is a bad option. He did see 14 targets last week against Detroit, only turned that into seven receptions for 45 yards. The Jaguars are spreading the ball around a lot this season. Keelan Cole's been really involved, LaVisca Chenault. And at the end of the day, it's close, but the matchup to me is better for Cooks. The quarterback is better for Brandon Cooks, and he's on a hot streak right now. So I think you have to ride that out um, and roll the dice. Yeah, it's like the Chase Claypool situation. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times. It's not going to happen. So I don't even, I probably botched that one worse than George Bush. But regardless (laughs) here, the thing about DJ Chark is that he has all the kind of peripheral statistics. So while the box scores may not be massive, he's had that one boom week, you know, he's still. Uh, on a team that throws the ball fourth most in the NFL on a per-game basis. He's also second amongst all wide receivers right now in red zone targets. I think it's only a matter of time before the rubber meets the road with Chark and he returns back to a little bit more of what he was last season, a more consistent start. I know some of the injuries here might might eat into this upside a little bit, and that may have been why we saw a, a lower yardage total, even on those four, 14 targets. He only caught half of them, uh, but even then he only put up 6.4 yards per catch. So seven catches for 45 yards. It's not great there. You want to see more than that, especially from Chark, where a lot of what he does is get those deep receptions um, where he was making his hay is, you know, going up and get it downfield. So when you see things like that, it is a little bit concerning, but I'm nowhere near as concerned for Chark as I am with a guy like Juju in that way, even though they're kind of seeing the same problem here. But those 14 targets can't be ignored. I think Chark's going to be relied upon. It's just one of those things where, again, just like Cooper Cup, there's a level of volatility to expect with the other options emerging. And one you didn't throw out there is James Robinson, because James James Robinson's seeing a lot of targets as well. Um, So, you know, it's just something where the distribution is a little bit farther out. But to see 14 targets, anytime you see double-digit targets from a wide receiver, then you got to go back to the well and plug them back in. But I think you're right. I would go Brand. You've convinced me, I should say. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to say Brandon Cooks over DJ Chark this week. But you look at the matchup, the Packers versus the Texans, it's – it is the highest over-under wow. on the week, a 57-point over-under. 57. It's up to 57 now. Wow. It moved past Detroit, yeah, Atlanta. So wow. It's 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 supposed to be, for all intents and purposes, a high-scoring game. We'll see if it actually shakes out that way. I feel like you know a lot of these games this year where we've expected these really high-point totals, you've been a little bit disappointed, whereas all the other games that we didn't expect to be high-scoring have kind of done the opposite. But regardless, I, I think you're right. And you made great points there on Brandon Cooks. And it was a guy that... I took some shots on in some places in drafts this year because, you know, the the wide receivers that break out typically come from, you know, ambiguous depth charts. We don't know if there's a clear one. Is it a 1A, 1B? You don't really know. And that's what Brandon Cooks is. We know Brandon Cooks is good when he's healthy. Um, you know, he had that, that year last year where he had the concussion issues, the neck issues uh, with the Rams. But now that he's come back, he looks like the receiver that he's been on three different other teams where he's put up a thousand yards. Uh, on those different teams and in, in those seasons. So I think you're right. I think you do have to plug in Brandon Cooks and anytime there's a, there's that upside, whether it's the Will Fuller upside, whatever we want to call it, Brandon Cooks could be a guy who gets two deep balls and takes them for touchdowns, uh, especially late in the game. If this is a shootout with Green Bay, you're going to want to have Brandon Cooks in there. And for, you know, if Chark goes off 
on my bench. I think I'm going to be all right with it after some, you know, disappointing outings the last two weeks. Whereas with Brandon Cooks goes off on my bench again, I'm going to be kicking myself because now that's the third week that he's exploded. Luckily did have him in some lineups last week. So I think I'm going to ride the high hand here out of these two with Cooks, but I think both are starts. If we're talking start sit, uh, don't fade either one. Cooks, you know, thinking he's going to return to earth or DJ Chark seeing these last two weeks and thinking that he's going to bust again. I, I think both um, can have great weeks here in week seven. Now let's talk about a rookie wide receiver, Jerry Judy, coming off a pretty disappointing performance uh, against the Patriots last week. He only, he only caught two of his five targets for 32 yards, 5.2 fantasy points, totally crapped your week if you started him. And the interesting thing with Judy is that, and really this whole Broncos offense is that the defense is what's winning them games this year. And Drew Locke doesn't need to pass. Drew Locke had less than 25 pass attempts in this game because their defense is winning them games. So shout out to Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel, the defensive coordinator, because right now... Huge win over New England. What an upset. Right now, the Broncos offense is 28th in the league in points scored, but their defense is putting up 22 points a game. And they're in the top 12 in terms of fewest points allowed this season. So that defense, even with Von Miller hurting out a couple of injuries they've had, is really, really good. I, I don't have a ton of faith in Judy this week. He's going up against Kansas City. I, I think in this game, you're hoping for garbage time or you know them to be in comeback mode. I think it could definitely happen here, but it's supposed to be a pretty low scoring game. The over-under is only 46. So Vegas thinks this is, is going to be pretty low scoring. I think the Chiefs will dominate them and the Chiefs defense hasn't been a, a slouch either, especially against wide receivers. So your hope is that the volume is going to be there because of the, the comeback mode. And what we're actually seeing is that Tim Patrick, this guy that nobody expected, has just absolutely exploded and really shown to be the wide receiver one in this offense without Cortland Sutton. So it's something where for Jerry Judy, I think season long, he's still a hold. He's still a guy who's going to have big weeks. Um, I think it's only a matter of time before he breaks out like some of the other rookie wide receivers that we're seeing. But against Kansas City, I don't want to start him. Do you? No, I'm with you. I think this one's pretty easy. You just can't start Jerry Judy right now. You look at his season, and he's done nothing necessarily spectacular. I mean, here's his PPR point totals. 9, 10, 10, 14, where he had a 38-yard touchdown reception that saved his week, and 5. So with Drew Locke and everything you laid out about this offense, you can't start Jerry Judy right now. This one's easy. Keep him on your bench. I think maybe we could see a breakout later if Drew Locke gets going again back from his injury. If Judy can start to pick things up as well as a rookie, maybe we see this Broncos offense improve. Right now, you're keeping Judy on your bench. All right, last wide receiver we'll talk about here. A guy that, oh man, was so disappointing. I had him in my lineup on Monday Night Football. It was too late. I didn't have any other options. I had to play him up against Stephon Diggs. That went horribly for me <laughs> because it's Michael Gallup. He has Washington this week coming off that horrible horrible performance from really the entire Cowboys offense and defense only 4.3 fantasy points in that game he had six targets caught two of them for 23 yards we saw back-to-back kind of goal line fades that Gallup ran and they looked to him both times that that is what gives me confidence for Gallup season long but are you willing to start him against Washington no who is who is number one against wide receivers right now Steph, you know why Washington's number one against wide receivers? Because <laughs> you can run all over them? Because everyone can run it on them, get a 14-point lead, and not need to throw the ball for the rest of the game. And after what we saw from Andy Dalton last week, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Cowboys do the same thing with Ezekiel Elliott. And no, I'm not really willing to start Gallup this week. I'm trying to look for other options if I can. Now, there's always the chance he goes for that big 50-yard touchdown play. He's truly boomer bust. He's only getting, you know, five, six targets a game uh, so far this season, 34 targets in six games. So you're really just hoping for that big play that goes for a touchdown. It could happen against Washington, but after what we've seen this season, I mean, he's had one big week, so I'm definitely not going to bank on it this week. He is seeing snaps. Um, he's seeing even 81% of snaps last week was his lowest on the season. So he's out there just about all the time. But with Andy Dalton and all these options, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb seems to be the number two target for this offense. Then you got Dalton Schultz in the mix and Zeke, who's going to run the ball over all over Washington. I don't see myself starting Michael Gallup this week. Sure, in our deeper league, maybe a three wide receiver or a two flex league, you throw him out there and hope for that upside. But I'm trying to avoid if possible. He might be worth a, a buy low 
in especially in the in the deeper leagues like you're talking about. I mean, that defense in Arizona that they went up against is actually a very good defense. They're allowing uh, their top five um, in, in points against this year. So they're not allowing you know, any offenses to really get going on them, which is a complete contrast to last year for the Arizona Cardinals. Their defense has stepped up. Uh, I think they're going to actually be a sneaky team, uh, a playoff team potentially. Um, that could make a run if they get hot at the right time. But I still think Gallup, because of the targets that, he, that he's going to get, it's actually been better with Andy Dalton in the lineup. I granted it's only a two-game sample size, and one of those, you know, Dak was in for about, you know, a quarter and a half. Um, but we are seeing a little bit more of a, a higher target share with Andy Dalton in there. Uh, but you're right. He, he's not really a guy that you want to start. Uh, but again, in deep leagues, I think he's worth a, a buy low, maybe even as a trade throw-in. As a guy who could have some boom weeks later on in the year, the schedule opens up a lot uh, for Dallas down the stretch. So let's get into our favorite segment every week. It's our starts of the week, our strong starts, the guys that you're kind of on the bubble. Hey, should I start them? Maybe they're coming off a rough game. Maybe it's a tough matchup, whatever it might be. We want to give you our stamp of approval to say, hey, plug this guy into your lineup over other options. Hit some big ones last week. We did. Your Debo pick was hot. I know you were giving me a little bit of flack for that one off that disappointing outing from Debo, but I was I like, was. man, he's, he's going to blow up this week. You had some good calls too. Justin, Justin Jefferson, Jefferson, number one receiver on the week. It was, it was a big one. It was nice to see. So, Steph, let's get this thing started. I want to hear your quarterback start of the week. Give me some Debo Samuel energy with this pick. Who <laughs> should we be rolling out there at quarterback expecting a big game here in week seven? Yeah, that's the game with the second highest over under this week behind that Green Bay Houston matchup. And it's Detroit versus Atlanta. It's my quarterback start of the week, Matt Ryan. You got to plug him in there right now. Nice. He's sitting as the QB 10. And with Julio Jones healthy and in the game and against bad defenses, Detroit's 23rd against QBs. They're pretty much in the bottom half in every single category versus wide receivers, versus running backs, versus tight ends. So whatever it is, no matter what, if it's an offense that's going to score, and we know Atlanta's defense isn't going to stop anybody, you have to plug Matt Ryan back in. I know he's coming off that, that Minnesota game, and that Minnesota game where he had 32 fantasy points really set the blueprint for what Matt Ryan can be is what is and what his upside is. And we've seen him be close to that 30-point uh, mark or over it in about half his games this season. And those three games are with Julio Jones out of the lineup. So at this point, the pattern... You know, talking about pattern recognition, it's pretty clear at this point. If Julio Jones is healthy, you got to start Matt Ryan in a matchup against Detroit. I think it's going to be a high-flying one. Uh, we'll see if uh, the Falcons can get up to a lead and not blow it in this game. But I'm going Matt Ryan as my start of the week. I like it, Steph. I like it. I'm staying right there in that Falcons-Lions matchup. I'm going with Matt Stafford. And I know he's felt disappointing so far this <laughs> season, but he hasn't killed you. He's averaging 179 Fantasy points per game, and you laid it out. The Falcons-Lions game is going to be an absolute shootout, and it's because the Falcons are getting absolutely gashed on defense this season. Stafford's got his weapons. He's got Kenny G out there. Hawkinson's looking great. I know Marvin Jones has been a little bit banged up in practice. Um, I think he might just have his pride hurt. Maybe that's his injury for how bad he's oh. been so far this season. But I know that was a low blow. <laughs> you know we love MJJ here on the show. So maybe this is a bounce-back opportunity for him. But you just, it's all about the matchup, man. I mean, you look at what Atlanta is giving up to the quarterback position. We're here in week seven. We're through six full games. I'm going to read how many points each quarterback has put up against the Atlanta Falcons. 31, 39, 28, 29, 20, and 23. One of those was Mitch Trubisky as well. Wow. Actually, that was, I think that was actually the Trubisky Foles half and half game it was the comeback 20, it was another 20, one of those heartbreakers gave up 28 total points in that game i mean kirk cousins is in there teddy bridgewater and then rogers dak and russell wilson so all over the board with you know the perceived talent skill level of these quarterbacks stafford's a good quarterback he's going to come out hot in this game and have a really really nice one so if you've got stafford keep rolling with him if he's on your waiver wire pick him up throw him out there he's going to have a big game so starts the week at qb coming from the same matchup you love to see that. I think I think really that's a statement saying, look, start all your Lions that you know are on the bubble. We talked about DeAndre Swift as a you know desperation RB two or flex this week. If you want some upside from him after that big outing, you gotta love Kenny Galladay, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Todd Gurley, even um, a lot of great options in this one. Hayden Hurst, you might take a flyer on him as well. We might hear a little bit more about him 
later on. But my running back start of the week is Antonio Gibson. That's right. It's time. Nice. The upside's happening. The breakout. We saw a 22-point game from Antonio Gibson against Baltimore of all matchups in week four. Um, and even though the snap percentages haven't been there, you see what DeAndre Swift just did on about the same snaps, about 35, 36% of snaps. That's exactly what Antonio Gibson saw against the New York Giants. I was expecting better things from Gibson in that Giants game, but against Dallas, Dallas is giving up the second most rushing yards per game amongst all defenses in the NFL. They're uh, 22nd amongst all teams against the running back in fantasy. So the matchup is great. We know the points are going to be there. I think Dallas's offense is going to get it back together, be able to move the ball a little bit, even if it's just feeding Zeke a hundred times in this game. Regardless, I think they're going to need to score. That gives you room for pass catching volume. Now, J.D. McKissick is a, a guy who could, we could consider as a deep sleeper as well, just by extension. But I think Gibson's going to have a good game. I think he's going to be there. You know, he's had three touchdowns in six games played to start his career. I think we could see another touchdown, maybe even two touchdown upside in this game. Love Gibson and DFS, and he's my start of the week at the running back spot in week seven. I love it. At my running back position, I'm going with Ronald Jones. I'm going with my guy against the Las Vegas nice. Raiders. He's been so hot. You just got to ride this wave. I mean, look at his last three games. He's averaging 20 carries per game, five targets per game. He's turned that into over 100 yards in three straight weeks. I know Leonard Fournette's expected back this week. I'm not worried about it. I think Rojo is still going to get somewhere from 15 to 20 carries, and he can turn that into 100 yards and a touchdown with some receiving work as well. The Bucs just curb stomped the Packers. I expect them to go into <laughs> Vegas this week, a team that is 31st against the running back in fantasy football this year. And I think they're going to run the ball all over them. So look for Rojo this week to have another big game. If you've been rolling them out there these past couple weeks, keep it going. I wouldn't sell high just yet. I think other people perceive Rojo to not be as good as he's actually been. So you're not going to get the value for him that you deserve. Keep riding that wave. Keep riding that production and put Rojo in your starting lineup. Nice, nice. Yeah, we've, we've taken so many victory laps already on Ronald Jones. I don't think it's going to slow down anytime soon. Just crazy that it's that, you know, for what he's done, his ADP was so low. So many people were, it was a very polarizing option to take in drafts. People were saying he's garbage, he's trash, he's not going to be able to do it. And then we had other, you know, guys on the other end of the spectrum, which you were definitely on, which was like, you know, this guy has what it takes to take over if they're going to give him the opportunity. And it looks like so far he's going to do that. And with this Leonard Fournette injury, could, could, could happen a little bit longer than we expect. And they got some good matchups in there, Carolina twice uh, as well. So love that, love that Ronald Jones start of the week there. I got another rookie as my wide receiver start of the week, and it's T. Higgins. T. Higgins has played 81% of snaps in three out of the six games he's played to start his career. I don't even count that first game. He played 21% of snaps and just didn't even see a single target in week one. And then after that, he's been at 60% of snaps or higher uh, pretty much every single week. And he's coming off of now four double-digit outings, a 21-point outing against Philly, 13 against Jacksonville, 10 against Baltimore, and then 18 in a matchup that was pretty questionable in Indianapolis. Thought that might be a tough one for T. Higgins, but he's played extremely well. And it looks like it's a guy that Joe Burrow has wanted to target early and often, is really taking over that A.J. Brown role. And the best part is Cincinnati's defense can't stop anybody, and they're up against Cleveland, who's 30th amongst uh, defenses against wide receivers in 2020 so far i think they're gonna be able to pass the ball i think this is just like we saw last time in this this cleveland cincinnati matchup it's gonna be a high flying game we saw joe burrow have 60 pass attempts in that game the last time these two met i think we could see a very similar situation again um you know love a lot of the browns this week kareem hunt odell beckham and for that reason on the on the cincinnati side of the ball i'm willing to plug t higgins back in there don't fade the the rookie build up or anything like that you've got to plug him back in after that 18-point week in week six. So T. Higgins, start of the week. Alex, who you got? Love that. I love it. I love the trade you just made for him in Dynasty as well. Traded away my start of the week in that deal. Terry McLaurin 
who plays against the Dallas Cowboys this week. And Terry McLaurin nice. had a decent week last week, 7 for 74. Um, it was on 12 targets, which is great to see. The week before, he only had 3 for 26. So maybe a little bit disappointing here in the last two weeks. you got to keep rolling him out there. This is a great matchup for McLaurin against the Dallas Cowboys, who are giving up a cool 36 points per game so far this season. <laughs> Terry McLaurin is the only guy there in Washington. I mean, they're bringing in practice squad guys and elevating them to the roster who are probably going to get significant snaps because the rest of their receivers are so banged up. I love McLaurin. I think he's going to get somewhere from 12 to 15 targets in this game against a beatable Dallas Cowboys secondary. Yes, he might be matched up against Trayvon Diggs, but I think he's going to be able to roast him. I mean, he's a rookie who's played very, very well, but McLaurin is still going to get his in this game. So I, I love McLaurin. At this point, to me, he's an every week start. I know he might have been disappointing oh, yeah. for the last two games, but don't get too weird, especially in a good matchup. I know he's on the Washington football team, and things have, have gone terribly wrong, but this team's one game out of the NFC East, so they're still playing for something. Roll out Terry McLaurin. I love the matchup. I love him as a talent, and I think he's going to have a big week seven against the Cowboys. Nice, nice. I, love, I like a lot of pieces on both sides of the ball in that game, but definitely Terry McLaurin. He's an every week auto start stud, regardless if it's Kyle Allen, Alex Smith, or Dwayne Haskins back there. But I'm going to talk about our tight end starts of the week. Alex, I'll have you start this one off. Who you got? I'm actually going with TJ Hawkinson against the Atlanta Falcons. We talked about that shootout coming up. And TJ Hawkinson, I expect him to see a decent amount of targets in this game. He's coming on. I mean, his targets have been... Very conservative so far this year. He's seeing about five targets a game, but he is being utilized in the red zone. He scored a touchdown in three of five games this season. And in a game where there's going to be a lot of passing volume to go around, we expect Matt Stafford to have a big game. I think TJ Hawkinson is going to be the recipient of a decent amount of targets in this one. And he has as good a chance as anyone to score a touchdown in this game in a year where the tight end position is so depleted. TJ Hawkinson in this matchup to me is just like a diamond in the rough for someone you can start and feel confident in. So roll out TJ Hawkinson in this game. I know he only had the two for 17 with the touchdown last week, which doesn't necessarily feel great, but at the tight end position, especially this year, you can do a lot worse and it's really, really hard to get production on a week in and week out basis. So if you've got Hawkinson, roll him out there with confidence this week against the Atlanta Falcons. If your tight end can just score a touchdown, like that's already a massive win at your tight end spot. It mostly I mean, Steph, listen to the some of the top ten tight ends last week. Anthony Ferkser was number nice. one. We had Trey Burton <laughs> at number three, Darren Fells at number five, Adam Shaheen at number eight, Logan Thomas at number nine, Nick Boyle at number ten. So I mean you had Kelsey Kittle, Gronk, and Hayden Hurst mixed in there, and everyone else was an absolute dart throw. <laughs> It's crazy. It's crazy. You know, that tight end uh, scoring opportunity is really what we're looking for. And that's why my tight end start of the week is really a, uh, uh, what do we want to call him here? I don't want to be too mean. It's, it's a Jimmy Graham is who it is. Um, guy's probably old enough to be my grandpa <laughs> at this point. And, you know, he's coming off. He looks like I it. mean, right now he's the tight end seven in PPR leagues. Like he's a top 12 tight end, a guy that probably wasn't even drafted in most leagues. And he's been relatively consistent, really only had one game where he was below uh, eight fantasy points. And if you're getting eight points a week from the tight end spot, that's actually a a lot to ask from a tight end. That's not one of the big four in Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, or Waller. And so for that reason, if you're looking for a tight end there out on waivers, maybe a guy you have stashed, you know, we got a lot of bye weeks here. Um, You know, Zach Ertz is now gone. So you, with injury. And so now you look at Jimmy Graham, a guy that just put up, Eight fantasy points last week. He did play 67% of snaps, so that's pretty much what he's been all season long. And we saw Cole Komet, the rookie tight end, getting some usage as well. That's a kind of a deep dynasty name to keep an eye on, maybe even a really, really deep redraft name. But if those go from Cole Komet over to Jimmy Graham, both are the tight ends that are looked to in the red zone. Um, I think you can expect Jimmy Graham to have a good week in a Monday night matchup against the Rams. It should be a relatively high scoring game i actually take that back it's a 44 and a half point over under yeah yeah that that was wrong there but regardless i think it's gonna be a it's gonna be a grind it is but what what's crazy about jimmy graham it's 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 a situation i don't really care about the the talent with him like i think we can all agree he's past his prime but when you look at team pass plays per game 
we look at Chicago, they're sixth in pass plays per game. This team is actually passing the ball a lot, especially since Nick, since Nick Foles has come in. And Nick Foles has looked to Jimmy Graham often in the end zone and in the red zone. Jimmy Graham right now is fifth amongst all tight ends in targets, sixth in terms of total receptions. And he already has four touchdowns, which is fifth um, amongst all tight ends as well. So, look, it's just a guy that it's a dart throw. But for a guy who's number one amongst tight ends in red zone targets with 10 of those, we'll see if he ends up coming down with them. He's only come down with them, uh, you know, 40% of the time. But that type of volume is what you're looking for. Give yourself the opportunity to have a tight end that's going to score a touchdown. And that's why if you need it, Jimmy Graham can be a streamer in week seven. And that's my tight end start of the week. So, Alex. I love it. Heck of an episode. I think we broke down a lot here, and we're going to see a lot more here in this week seven slate. A lot of great matchups. Before we sign off here, anything else to add? Any any dart throw names that we should keep an eye on? You just want to name drop before we sign off. I mean, I know I roasted Marvin Jones earlier, but I just want to say in that matchup against Atlanta, he's still playing 90-plus percent of snaps every week. If he does play, he's been a little bit banged up. I think Marvin Jones could have a get-right game here, so... Maybe in a deeper league desperation situation, keep an eye on Marvin Jones. And if he bounces back, maybe we'll get some value out of him for the rest of the year. Very interesting. Nice, nice. MJJ, we were on that trend preseason. It's kind of, of you know, fizzled out. And that's why we've seen this, uh, you know, TJ Hawkinson little emergence here. He's now come, become the one, uh, the number two on that team. But a name I want to throw out, a deep, probably going to be in some DFS lineups type of name. He's in an ugly mashup against New England, but it's Tim Patrick for the Denver Broncos. Just throwing him out there. I'm not going to give you a full take on him. I'm just saying if you are extremely desperate, if something happens, maybe there's a COVID outbreak and you just need a guy to plug in at the very last second, I think you can do worse than Tim Patrick, who's really right now operating as the one for the Denver Broncos. But guys... Thank you all so much for listening and watching. We had an absolute blast recording this one. Heck of an episode. If you like what we're doing here, please hit that subscribe button. That is huge for us. A like is always appreciated as well. Uh, We'll see you guys on some live streams. Had an absolute blast with that one. Want to do more in the future? And hit us with those start sick questions on Twitter at DoubleMoveSport or in the comments down below. Again, appreciate you all listening and watching. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.